This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm Randy Moore. And I'm Andy Payton. All right, Andy, good to be with you and good to be with all of you who are listening today. We are in the midst of a 25-part sermon series on the 25 Articles of Religion. Um, You know, this can be some deep, headache-type stuff, and so we try to make it user-friendly. We try to be pastoral on this, but we think it's important, right, Pastor Andy? So for those who might be joining us late, what are these 25 Articles of Religion for the Methodists? Um, Well, the 25 Articles of Religion are the doctrinal articles of faith that John Wesley gave the people called Methodists in the 1700s as America was being born. Uh, Methodism was also being born, and so Wesley basically revised the articles of faith of his Anglican church and sent them over to the Methodist. And so the way we're using them in this 25-part series is we're asking the question, um, what can they teach us about our relationship with God today? All right, we're going to jump into it, but before we do that, we want to do what's become our practice, and it's part of being a Methodist pastor. It's probably part of being a Methodist, and it comes from John Wesley. And it's just one opening question, how is it with your soul? Because it's an important question. You'd think that pastors uh, have a soul that's pristine, but that's not always the case. And so that's why the question is asked, how are things going in the midst of all the activities of ministry? How is it with your soul? Well, this week, Randy, my soul's excited. Um, Yesterday, I was over at the University of Evansville. And one of the things I do on the side is I'm a a part-time chaplain over at the University of Evansville. Um, Of course, UE has a long-standing relationship with United Methodist Church. And so that's kind of how I got um, the opportunity to do the the chaplain type work. Anyway, I help um, with the ceremonies. And yesterday, we had the prologue and the convocation for the incoming freshman class. And so I was able to see the incoming freshmen at the University of Evansville for the first time yesterday. And so we gathered in New Chapel, which is the uh, church there on on University of Evansville's campus. And Randy, there was standing room only in New Chapel yesterday. I think there was like over 450 freshmen in that sanctuary. And um, not only was that exciting, but they clapped. (laughs) <laughs> and that's not normal. I've done this a few years. Not all the freshman classes, uh, do they clap when we especially gather in a church together. But these these young students were excited to be at, at UE. They were excited to be there. And um, that energy was contagious. So I'm kind of riding that wave now into our podcast because it was just exciting to see that kind of um, passion. Yeah, That's nice. Uh, you're younger than I am, but you're not college age anymore. So it's fun to be around young people like that. Yeah, I, I mean, their enthusiasm, their their energy, their excitement about the future and what is yet to come, and their willingness to ask questions and wrestle and try to find their place in life, all that, to me, is, um, well, it's just encouraging. Well, they're in the neighborhood, for crying out loud. It's what? It's just a hop and a skip and a jump away. Oh, yeah, I can essentially just walk across the street. Sometimes when I've been asked to do ceremonies uh, uh, for UE, I just walk over there because it's so close. The relationship makes sense on so many levels. Yeah, it's appropriate that we know them, and it's appropriate that they would know us, I think. Absolutely, and I will say that 
Um, part of the things that I did yesterday, one of the things that I did yesterday was I helped with the service they call the prologue, um, which I took that opportunity to introduce them uh-huh. to the Methodist, um, the Methodist <laughs> faith and the Methodist tradition, which really, um, kind of side note here, gave birth to the University of Evansville. Um, I don't know if the listeners know this or not, but um, the University of Evansville actually wasn't originally the University of Evansville. It started as Moores Hill College in Cincinnati, Ohio. You should let me do that. That's oh. why. That's why I remember that. Yeah. Well, it's just. It's just. This is such a cool story. It really. It can't. It can't be untold. Um, and so, a group of Christians who happen to be Methodist had the idea to start a college in Moores Hill in the nineteen Moores Hill College in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the eighteen fifties, and um, it was the fifth educational higher higher level educational institution in the united states to co-educate men and women and i am convinced that the reason those folks did that was because we as methodists believe in prevenient grace we believe in the sacred potential of every person both men and women were equal and that is a beautiful expression of who we are as a wesleyan methodist people and in so many ways, that spirit lives on now in the University of Evansville. Yeah, well, the University of Evansville is international, it's multicultural, it's even pluralistic, a word that we used last week, but at the same time, it has that United Methodist background, which is still important. Yeah, the, the, the way I described it yesterday is um, the spirit of what started the University of Evansville all the way back to Morris Hill College continues to live on in the institution today. And the way that it is expressed is UE believes in the potential of every single person. And they believe that the point of a higher, le- higher level education is to, to train people how to make their positive mark upon the world. And those are Christian ideals. Those are Methodist ideals that um, live on in some of our higher level education type institutions today. I, I don't know. I, it's, ex- <laughs> it's exciting to be a part of all of that and to see the, the history and everything kind of continuing on um, and, and to be asked to be a part of it's humbling too. Very good. Good for your soul. When I think about the condition of my soul uh, today, I really want to use this opportunity to you know, make a pitch for our contemplative prayer group. Uh, a couple of months ago, I started a study of contemplative prayer. And then after the four weeks, we ended up with two groups. And uh, one is at noon on Wednesday, and the other one is on six o'clock on, on Sundays. And to pray for 20 minutes contemplatively, where instead of those uh, discursive prayers uh, uh, where we're talking to God, we are sitting still and, and trying not to think about anything, but to rest in, in the love of God. What happens, one of the benefits of, of that kind of prayer is that even after the 20 minutes and indeed for the rest of the week, you can tap back into that and uh, in the busyness of your week and the busyness of your day. And so that's one of the practices that has really helped me try to keep my soul in, in good health. And so I, I recommend it. I recommend it for anyone. And uh, come join us on uh, Wednesdays at noon and uh, on Sunday nights at, at 6 p.m. Okay. All right. Let's jump in. Uh, this is article number seven already uh, in these 25 articles of religion. And uh, this one is light, and, you know, it's kind of an easy one to handle, uh, right? Okay, the, uh, <laughs> can you hear the sarcasm there? Um, of original, <clears throat> excuse me, of original or birth sin. Here's the description. 
Original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, as the Pelagians do vainly talk, but it is the corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam, whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and of his own nature inclined to evil and that continually. So, Pastor Andy, this is a dead uh, serious article. It is to be taken seriously, but I had to chuckle when I read this again for the first time in a long time, this line where, whereby man is very far gone. I mean, that's very straightforward, and it also (laughs) sent my mind thinking about the eagles. Uh, not the bird, but the but the group that started in the 1970s and is and is still going in their song, um, all, you know, already gone. The song wasn't about this, but it it just made me stop and smile and 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 think about that, and to think about this notion uh, that underlies original sin, that that we are very that we are very far gone, and you mentioned in your sermon last week that we don't typically talk about original sin. And you even asked the question, have you heard, uh, any of you heard a, a sermon on original sin? And you said it's unfortunate because if we don't understand the problem, we'll, we'll never get to the solution. Yeah, um, this is a foundational doctrine that I admit we avoid because it's so hard to talk about the idea that we are fallen. Um, we react against the, the notion that we're flawed, these kinds of things we soon avoid. And so it was kind of comical, though, Sunday when I asked the church the question, have you ever heard a sermon on this subject? Uh, there was a few hands that went up, and then I, I joked again, my hunch is you're probably from a Roman Catholic tradition or maybe a Baptist tradition, because certainly Methodists don't really talk about that. It is it is unfortunate. Um, John Wesley actually said original sin was one of his three main doctrine. Um, original sin was one of them. Justification by faith alone was another one, and then what he described as holiness, heart, and life, and certainly we don't have time to get into all that today, but um, the reason why original sin is so important to understand is because if we don't, as you said, understand the problem, um, we don't understand the solution either. And and so what is sin as the problem is the big question. And um, the way I kind of described it in my sermon Sunday is like, it's important to understand the distinction between sins, plural, and sin, singular. Sins, plural, is what we typically think of when we think of the, this term. Um, those are those conscious ways that we fail to love. Um, that's how I would describe sins, singular, those conscious acts that we commit. Um, sin, uh, singular, though, is like, it's an attitude of the heart. It's an inner disposition. It's the... Um, well, the way I really like to describe it is awareness of the other, um, the struggle and the mistrust that we have that keeps us from fully loving one another. And so when we're talking about a bent to sinning and this kind of language is being used, ultimately, I think that's what we're trying to get at is that there's a universal human experience and propensity towards struggling to love, especially those who are different than us. And the gospel, of course, we know is... Um, and one word is love. And so we have to understand this problem before we can understand what the salvation or transformation is going to look like. Um, Andy, this idea of a wariness about others is the is what really hit home for me in this in this message. And you kept coming back to it. 
And it really, it really made me think because it's, it is so true. There is a built-in mistrust, and it's probably an evolutionary thing. Where I think you even got into this, where there was a time when we needed to be wary of our surroundings and and of threats, and and of course we still, we, we still need to be aware. But this idea that uh, we would have this wariness that could escalate to the point of violence against the other or hatred against the other. Man, that really, that was really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. um, Well, it's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere in our world today. It's everywhere in human history. It's also everywhere in the scripture and the Bible. The Hebrew Bible in Genesis starts out, of course, with the story of Adam and Eve, but it only escalates from their fall. Um, they eat they eat from the wrong tree, but then it goes from bad to worse. Cain kills Abel, then there's violence upon violence until we really get to the story of the of the ark, Noah and the ark, and the whole world is flooded with wickedness. And so um, what the ancients are telling us, I believe, in those stories is that, um, well, they're telling us that there's a human propensity as individuals, but also groups as individuals um, to turn to one another in violence out of the mistrust and suspicion we have for those that are different than us. We're going to talk about the New Testament, and we're going to talk about one verse in particular from St. Paul in the Epistle to the Romans, uh, Romans 5, 12, as maybe the source of uh, this doctrine of original sin. But before we get there, can we see, I mean, we know that the word original sin is not in the Bible, but do you see original sin in the, in the Genesis story? Uh, I, technically speaking, original sin does not appear in Scripture. Um, it's something that we've imposed on Scripture um, through Christian tradition. So, for example, in preparation for my sermon on original sin, I took Rabbi Gary out to lunch, and we talked about sin in the Jewish tradition. And strictly speaking, in the Jewish tradition, they do not have a doctrine of original sin like we as Christians do. So um, technically speaking, the term itself comes from Augustine, who lived in the 400s. And what Augustine was doing, just a little history lesson real quick, um, (laughs) Augustine was reacting against another person named Pelagius. And uh, Pelagius was a monk, British monk, who came to Rome um, in the early 400s. And uh, he was a very morally upright person. He did a lot of good in the community. People liked him. And uh, what Pelagius believed uh, basically is that we as humans are born free, free to choose to to do the moral thing, free to do the ethical thing. He also believed that um, we as humans are born mortal. So we were born in such a way that part of the design is we were going to die. Pelagian also believed that. And so Augustine reacted against that strongly. Um, he had a more pessimistic view of human nature than Pelagian did. And um, that's where we start to get the term original sin that comes from Augustine. And what he, Augustine said was that uh, humanity is inclined to evil and wickedness continually without God's assistance in our lives. Um, Augustine even ultimately goes as far to say that it's really by God's divine decree that some end up getting saved and some are not saved in the end. We're not going to get in those weeds. <laughs> but um, what, what becomes important really to understand here is Augustine believed we were, we were born sinful and also he believed in original guilt. We were born guilty. When Adam ate the apple, 
all fell because we all came from Adam and Eve and therefore all are guilty. And so um, you see infant baptism becoming really important post-Augustine because, well, infant baptism washes away the guilt of original sin. And and so all these things are kind of <laughs> tied into all of this. But uh, I think what's important to realize is um, Pelagian and Augustine were really reacting against one another. And when we're reacting against one another, we all, we both always have the, we all have the tendency to go to the extreme. And I think that's kind of what happened with Pelagian and Augustine. They, and I really believe they both have some truth to offer. Um, what the Pelagians remind us is that we have moral responsibility. And what the Augustine side of things reminds us is our need for God's grace uh, to live moral and good lives too. And so I think they're both right. Um, but when they're both taken to the extreme, they both can be wrong as well. I believe the Pelagian even had this idea of uh, the attainment of perfection uh, of humankind, and ding, 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 that went to John Wesley and, and his idea of perfecting grace. Yeah, um, so I think the difference would be probably, so I'm not a Pelagian expert. <laughs> Let me just clarify that. Um, Pelagian seems to be, if you take some of his stuff to the logical end, Pelagian would seem to maintain like this absolute perfection, Wesley would not go there. Um, Wesley would talk about it more like a perfection of love. Um, we can morally and willfully do what is right and good by God's grace, but there's always room for improvement and there's always room to grow. And so there's a perfection in love category, which is Wesley, and then um, an extreme Pelagian view would be like an absolute perfection. And and I think there. There needs to be a difference there. Um, there's always room for growth on the Wesleyan Methodist side of things. Yeah, even for John Wesley, he did not think that he, even he had reached perfection. Right, yeah, even um, his sermon on Christian perfection, I, he quotes from, I think it's Philippians, it says, uh, not as though I've attained obtained any of this. That's the verse he quotes. Then he goes into his notion of Christian perfection. Um, a, probably a better way to even describe Christian perfection in a Wesleyan sense would be, Christian maturity is really what he's getting at, honestly. Okay, let's come back to Augustine because Augustine, as I understand it, looked to Paul uh, as the basis uh, for his teaching. And if we can boil it down to one verse, which is always dangerous, but if there is one verse that we can point to, um, as I said, it's Romans 5, 12, where Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. This is ground zero, I guess, of original sin. Yeah, this, this verse, that you're, that's the one that folks will point to a lot when we're talking about original sin in an Augustinian view of it. And the verse, I believe what it's saying is uh, Paul is saying that he believes mortality entered the human race um, as a result of Adam's choice to eat from the wrong tree. And, and so it's this notion, though, that um, as the Augustinian view would maintain, uh, we were born in this world perfect, immortal, and then we ate from the tree, and then mortality entered the human race. That's kind of a classical understanding of um, what happens with the fall and in some ways that language is tucked in our tucked into our own article of religion too but you're right this is the foundational building block of original sin 
Okay, and as um, you know, as thinking people, uh, we can have a we can kind of have a problem with this. And you even addressed it in the sermon. And your example was a newborn baby. Hey, well, wait a minute. This is a born sinner. This little baby is guilty, and it's hard. It's hard for us to go there. Then you joked, okay, once they become a toddler, you can understand how they might have this uh, sin within them. But to think that we are born with this birth defect, and as I understand it, um, Augustine actually was pre-scientific, of course. At least he, was, he, didn't have the, he didn't have the science that we have available to us today. And he actually thought that this sin of Adam was actually passed down biologically to the rest of us mm-hmm. in something that happened within the human system. And uh, that, we know from science, is not right. So then that allows us to say, okay, it's not that. It, it's not that we have this birth defect that we inherit, but that doesn't mean we throw out the notion of original sin because the fact that we're sinful is apparent. It is obvious that we are sinful, that we have a sin problem. But it helps to know that it's not something that we were born with in such a genetic kind of a way. Yeah, um, well, the the language that I would try to steer clear of is born flawed or born broken. Uh, those kinds of things I struggle with. And the reason I struggle with that is because I believe in a good God and a loving God. And God doesn't create broken things. God doesn't create flawed things. And so that becomes the issue. Um when it comes to the ancients and their view of the world versus our view of the world, this is one of the reasons why I love my own Methodist tradition. And I know I'm biased, but we believe in scripture and tradition, but also reason and experience. And so these four things kind of interplay with one another as we try to make sense of our own life and, and our own experience with God. And a way that I would describe essentially what I do when it comes to an ancient worldview versus a modern worldview would be like, I use scripture and tradition to confirm my experience rather than um, scripture and tradition to confine my experience. And so I think that's one of the big differences within even Christianity today. Um, Some people are going to approach the Bible like it's a Bible Bible book full of all kinds of moral teachings, but also it's a science book too. Um, And uh, I don't think... I don't think the Bible's intent is to be a science book, but I do think it points us to universal types of experiences that we as humans have had from the beginning when we started to write things down. Okay. I wanted to share something that I shared with my Sunday school class because, um, as is my habit, what I do with my adult Sunday school class is I take the text that you are preaching on or I am preaching on, and that and we study that text. We respond to the sermon. And uh, we study the text, and it really helps the message stick. And so I'm dealing with uh, this topic with my group, and I pulled out excerpts from various articles and asked certain questions, and then it hit me. I had a professor in one of my classes. It was a class on uh, the Reformation, and we were talking in particular about Luther. And I just want to read what I wrote as kind of an addendum to uh, my teaching on this in the middle of the week as they were preparing to meet. I wrote this, I said, hey friends, as I continued to think about this topic, I remembered that one of my professors helped me understand this in a succinct way when we were studying Luther. 
It's helpful to know that original sin can have both generic and specific meanings. In the broadest sense, original sin refers to the fact that sin is a universal part of the human condition. For whatever reason, it is an unavoidable element in the human story. Following Augustine, Luther believed that we are born in sin. Note that Augustine's understanding of this was based on a model of human physiology and genetics to which science no longer subscribes. However, the theological point stands. We are all under the power of sin. I think this helps us understand that while we have sin in common with Adam, Adam did not pass sin down to us through the process of procreation. And then I posed a question. I said, what would be more helpful for human flourishing? The idea that we're born with a birth defect called sin or the idea that we're created in the image of God? My answer would be both. It's both. You talk about what does it mean to flourish as humans? And it would be that, um, A, um, we have been given this life by a good and loving God. B, we are created to love. And C, we struggle to live into that love. But as we enter into a relationship with God, I, I do also believe that we become empowered to, to live into the love to which we've been created. And so that's just very simply how I would answer. It's, it's all of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we struggle with it and we have a need for God's assistance in our lives uh, to live into the people that we've been created to become. Okay, so um, uh, moving on in history, this, um, this idea, this understanding of original sin was the prevailing idea when John Wesley came on the scene, but you pointed this out. Uh, in many cases, uh, John Wesley just took those 39 articles of religion from the Church of England, and he, he just deleted some of them out. Some of those had to do with the Catholic Church. Some of those had to do with the, the Calvinistic idea of predestination. Um, and for the most part, he left those that, he, uh, that remained unedited. But you pointed out that he actually edited this article. Yeah, he took the language, the original Anglican article, um, had language about us deserving God's wrath and damnation. Um, and so it's this idea of original guilt that we are not only born into sin, but also we're born guilty as we enter this world. Wesley did not like that. He did not believe that God would hold us accountable for something we did not consciously choose. And so he took the language about um, original guilt out of the article of religion, which that's bold. Um, Back in those days, when you get to messing around with theology and articles of religion, um, it could go wildly wrong and turn violent. And so it took a lot of courage, in my opinion, to do what Wesley did. And so my hat goes off to him for doing that because uh, I agree with him. I don't think God would hold us accountable for something we didn't do. I can't possibly believe we're born into this world guilty, although I would say I can see why he would retain the language of um, we have this bent towards sinning and we have this bent towards suspicion of the other. Yeah. He wasn't exactly an ancient, but he was, he's more ancient than we are. And you made another point that I, that I underlined when you said that the ancients didn't see the world as we see it. They didn't have our scientific knowledge, but they're still human. Okay, they made mistakes uh, that science corrects, but to dismiss them would be to miss what they have to say. We, them, are human, and we're all evolving and making mistakes and, and learning from them. Absolutely. It might, the word that makes the most sense to me is we are in the process of becoming. We, uh, 
we go on to perfection, to go back to the Wesleyan idea. Um, are we perfect in the absolute sense? No. Um, but we can do perfect things in the sense that we can do what's most right and most good about our context that we find ourselves in with the understanding that we're always going to be able to have room for growth and always have room for more understanding. Um, But for me, that's a much more relational worldview. And it speaks to the idea that we are in relationship with the living God who wants to see us grow and change and evolve. There's a line in a Wesleyan hymn that says, we're changed from glory into glory. I find that very helpful here. Okay. You also had another definition of sin um, using the Greek word uh, that we find in the New Testament, hamartia, which is uh, from archery, and it it means missing the mark. Missing the mark. Yeah. um, So that's the idea that we aim, we shoot, we miss the mark. And we aim, we shoot, we miss the mark. And so there is a way to understand that idea in terms of we are fallen people and flawed and broken, but the way I'm going to interpret it is um, that's a part of the human experience. Um, As a child grows and learns and makes their mistakes, we as adults, we really don't get over it. We still continue to grow and learn and make our mistakes, but I hope we learn and we grow and we don't get stuck in the pattern as well. And even though the ancients didn't have the science right, um, they couldn't. Uh, Some of these discoveries would have to wait for another time but they were right at the heart of the matter because they recognized that we do fail to love because we're wary of the other and we're back to that and you return to this theme time and again in your sermon we are wary of the other and when that's left unchecked that can actually devolve into violence absolutely um i i would say the most dangerous thing we can possibly do is act as if that's not true for us as individuals. The person that's the most dangerous is the one that says, you know, I'm fine, I'm perfect, the problem's over there. Um, Because that means the wariness goes unchecked. That means the wariness is left to to continue to metastasize and grow within us. And quite frankly, that's what's happening a lot in our world today. Um, We've lost connection with one another. We look at each other through the lens of suspicion we dump gasoline on that fire through our social media, and it's just growing. If there was ever a time for the challenge of our faith to come back to a sense of connection to one another and get over the wariness, it's, it's now, it's today. And some of that, and you use this as an example, it is an extreme example. When you told the story about the time you visited the Holocaust uh, Museum, And that is an extreme example, but it just tells us what we are capable of as humans when it comes to this this sin and this evil. Absolutely. Uh, Holocaust is an example of it. I also mentioned apartheid, um, South Africa, um, and how it happened there too. But then we don't have to look around the world to see it. We can see it in our own society today. Um, The struggle for civil rights in the United States And then just, you know, even currently, I would even add the suspicion that we have for one another. The division within our society today is uh, this idea of sin as an attitude of the heart um, is a universal thing that we must deal with and take seriously. 
and it can be more basic and more simple and, and more every day. It's not the Holocaust every day. It's, it's not apartheid, but, but maybe for you, you just got hurt. You, you got hurt by a person or you got hurt by a, a group and, and you struggled to love that person or that group or you struggle to love yourself uh, because you don't meet the expectations of the group. Uh, we all struggle. Yeah, the struggle's real, and it's <laughs> universal. Um, and, and Randy, I'll just confess, three or four weeks ago, if you would have said, Pastor Randy, what do you think about Original Sin? I probably would have done something like, nah, I don't know. After working through this sermon, thinking about my own experience, thinking about the science of the world today, it's almost, to me, undeniable that we make our mistakes, we're wary of one another, and uh, we are in need of transformation. Um, and I believe that transformation does come from us entering into a relationship with God who calls us forward to, begin, to becoming uh, the community of love and peace that God has intended for this world. And then the sermon whiplash huh. and uh, the hope, the hope. Because you know it can be a, it can be a bit depressing. It's challenging, but it can be a bit depressing to dwell on uh, our our sin. But you noted, thankfully, you noted that before it ever went bad, it was good. Absolutely, yeah. And and now we've well, I've kind of alluded to it the whole time, but we're getting at a Christian understanding of salvation. Even more specifically, I mean, unfortunately, I have to be this specific, a Methodist, Arminian, Wesleyan understanding of salvation, which we as Methodists, we don't believe in salvation as a transaction. Instead, we believe salvation is about a transformation that takes place with us and God. And yeah, we we make our mistakes, and yeah, it goes bad, but through God's work in our life and through God's grace in our life, we can become healed of those things in our life that keep us from truly and fully loving one another. And to me, that's that's good news not only for us as individuals, that can be good news for us as, as a world, that by God's grace, we can truly and freely love one another. And I think ultimately that's what we all want to become if we're honest with our own selves. I'm happy you said healing. I think that's a, that's a definition of salvation. I think that's biblical. And it makes me think of uh, restorative justice over retributive justice. Sin is not something that necessarily has to be punished. Sin, sin is something that has to be healed. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus was a healer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is a biblical understanding of salvation. And really what faith is about is it's not as much about beliefs, although beliefs are important. Um, what faith ultimately is, is about our lives realigning with the life of God and experiencing the word here would be healing and the transformation that comes from it. There's really, in a very real sense, there's levels of faith. There's levels of transformation that we go through as we enter in a more deep and a deeper relationship with God. Yeah. You almost always close your uh, sermons with uh, some sort of a a challenge, and and this time you said, here's a simple practice, and you said the next time you make a mistake, uh, speak faith into it and and say, I'm still good. And when someone else makes a mistake, speak faith into it. They're still good. Even though you might protest and say, no, 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 I'm not good, or no, 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 they're not good. Speak faith into those situations. Yeah, 
and to be technical here um, on the podcast, we're able to be technical. We're good because God's still with us. That's where the goodness comes from. And the person that we're wary of, they have goodness in them because God's still with them too. And this is at the heart of um, our theology. Again, there's a sacred spark in every person. And as we acknowledge that and see that, that challenges the way we have to treat one another and ourselves. And you closed by uh, quoting the hymn, To God Be the Glory. To every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives the vilest offender and still there's hope. Absolutely. Well, it's the hope of the gospel, right? The good news of God's love and God's presence within our lives. Yeah. Well, Pastor Andy, I know you're going to get a break this Sunday, at least from preaching. Uh, life goes on, ministry goes on, and I'll be, I'll be preaching Sunday. And I'm going to be preaching uh, from the book of Acts in the, in the eighth chapter, a rather familiar story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is not Philip uh, the apostle, this is Philip uh, the evangelist. Uh, doesn't appear in the Gospels, he only appears... Um, in Acts. And um, again, I'm not going to give away the whole sermon, but I think there's a, there's a tie-in here because we talk about the thing that really registered with me was your notion that part of what sin is, is this suspicion of the other and then even this mistrust of the other and hatred of the other and violence of the other. Well, you can't get much more other than the Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian means burnt skin. Um, so this was a, a black man. Uh, this was a man who was uh, sexually neutered, and so he's neither really neither male nor female. Uh, he is an outsider. And the gospel, even in those earliest days, went out to the other and included the other. Okay, so that's just a little bit of a taste of what's going to happen in the pulpit this Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. You've you've picked a wonderful <laughs> story. I love this story that you've picked, Randy, and you're right. This is the gospel being lived out on full display in the book of Acts, and this is a wonderful story about transformation and hope and overcoming difference, all those things that we've been alluding to. Yeah, so my hat goes off to you too, Randy, um, for picking this story. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. All right. I'm glad to do it. Glad that you'll get a break at least uh, from preaching this week. All right, Pastor Andy Payton, thank you very much. And all of you out there listening to our podcast, we appreciate it so much. Tell your friends about it. And if you'd like to come worship with us, just know that you're invited to do that. We worship at 8.30 in a traditional sense and at 11 o'clock in a contemporary sense on Sunday mornings. And then we're also available online. And so you can worship with us virtually as well. So thank you so much. And we will talk to you next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 8.30 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.